Hello, welcome to the first Mobile Dev Memo podcast. I'm really excited to welcome um, the guest for this podcast onto it. He's, he's a good friend of mine, but he's also someone that I highly respect in the mobile marketing space. Um, he's definitely seen, I think, as um, one of the kind of most prominent and, uh, and knowledgeable um, marketers in, in, in and around um, influencer marketing. And uh, that's kind of a, a hot topic at the moment, so I thought it would be um, a great discussion for the first ever mobile Dev Memo podcast. So um, I'm very excited uh, to welcome Mr. Adam Hadi onto the podcast. Hey, thanks a lot, Eric. I am honored to be here, especially as, as your first guest. Um, it, it's only fair after reading your memo now for, you know, probably almost three years that, uh, that I finally contribute. Great. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for, for taking the time out. So just to give a little bit of background um, uh, or, or maybe a little bit of context around um, this content, uh, the, the format that this content is going to take. So we're going to do the podcast now. Um, where I'll be sort of asking, uh, or I'll just be discussing kind of um, influencer marketing with Adam. And then Adam is going to come back on Wednesday for an Ask Me Anything on the Mobile Dev Memo Slack team. So if you're not a member of the Slack team, you can sign up now um, and uh, just, just make sure that you're sort of signed up before Wednesday. And the timing, I believe, is, is 12 p.m. Eastern. Uh, so if it, it'll be you know, 30 minutes. Um, Adam will take your questions directly. Uh, and so, you know, you, you can listen to the podcast as a primer, and then you can jump in and ask Adam anything that's on your mind about influencer marketing. Yeah, and, uh, and I look forward to it, guys. Don't pull any punches. I, I want some hard-hitting questions here. Cool. So I just kind of gave you uh, an introduction for you, but maybe you could um, give us a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, yeah, sure. So I am a user acquisition consultant. Um, I've previously worked... Uh, I got started in the mobile space at a company, uh, Tops, the trading card company, doing uh, user acquisition for uh, a few of their mobile apps over there. Uh, I then later on went on to work for Draft, a daily fantasy app. Uh, and for the past year or so, I've been doing consulting, which means I help different apps with all different aspects of user acquisition, um, from running your conventional, traditional campaigns to uh, kind of setting up the mobile stack to... Uh, this area I kind of specialize in, which is uh, influencer marketing. And you're based out of New York City, correct? Uh, yes, I am. Um, but before uh, before working in mobile, you actually were an economist. Yeah, yeah. So I actually worked for five years at the Bureau of Labor Statistics, um, which maybe not the most traditional background to somebody uh, in, in mobile, but uh, I think it gives me an interesting perspective. And I'm certainly an econ geek. Actually, I mean, I would to, to 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 just to address that point. I think most of the people I've met in mobile UA have a a finance background. Maybe maybe not an maybe not an economics background, and, and maybe that distinction is kind of lost on some people. But um, like you know, I, I do, and I know I, I know a lot of people that came into kind of doing performance marketing from um, a background in in investment banking or sales and trading. Uh, so I wouldn't, I mean, I, I, from, from, you know, just, just kind of thinking quickly about my kind of um, network in the space, I think, I think it is kind of common um, that, you know, mobile UA is attractive to people uh, with that kind of like analytical background and analytical work history. Well, yeah, I, and I actually certainly agree with you there from the, 
from the econ point of view, I guess uh, from the federal government standpoint, that's where it's a little bit different. It's uh, it's a bit of a change of pace. <laughs> yeah, I, was it, is it better pay? Uh, <laughs> it's uh, you know, it's it's better everything except maybe we work life balance. <laughs> yeah. um, <laughs> fair enough. So to kick off to kick off the conversation, um, and you know, I had sent you some some questions uh, before um, before we you know got on the call. But um, you had kind of asked me to add one specifically at the very beginning, which I think is a really good way to start this conversation, which is uh, what makes an app a good fit for influencer marketing? Um, yeah, well, it's, you know, it's dependent on a lot of different things. And, and with influencer marketing as a whole, I think it's one of those areas where you hear some marketers talk about how it's this like holy grail and it's you know, it's amazing and it's, you know, been the backbone of our growth and all this. And then you have other marketers who kind of think it's all hype and there's no real substance there. And the truth is, it, it just really depends on, on, on the app and, and kind of your audience. Um, a few questions to, you know, to ask yourself would be, uh, are, are you on both platforms? Uh, you know, basic targeting that we're used to on, let's say, a Facebook um, or, or really any ad network is just not possible through influencer marketing. If you want to target, if you're only on iOS, you can't just target iOS users on, on influencer marketing. So your effective marketing is going to be, you know, half as effective or 30% as effective by not being on, on both platforms. Um, if you have pretty strict geo restrictions, uh, if you're, let's say, you're US only, um, while they're influencers who only have an audience, you know, or the majority of their audience is in the U.S., uh, it certainly helps if you don't have that restriction in place. Same goes for age. Um, if, you're, if your app, you know, is only 18 plus, let's say, um, well, then, then, then you're going to run into some issues. Um, and then beyond those just strictly demographic issues that, again, those are, that type of targeting is super easy on other, other platforms. Then you need to start thinking about uh, if you have a potential audience on influencer platforms. Um, one big red flag is usually age groups. Uh, I mean, all the influencer platforms are they skew young, and uh, if if you have an audience that is very you know that that skews old, and and when I say old, I mean you know essentially over thirty, thirty five. Uh, you're going to have a tougher time reaching on an influencer platform than if you have a younger audience. Um, is is your app actually compelling and entertaining enough to be on a you know on an on an influencer platform? I mean, if you're app, if you have a utility app, that's a lot less engaging of a of a pitch than let's say a gaming app. Um, so those are those are I guess things to think about right off the bat in terms of like what makes or good influencer marketing a good or, or, or bad fit for, uh, for your app. Have you seen the case that an app is just a much better fit for influencer versus standard kind of Facebook video or, or, you know, uh, just, just, um, um, mobile mobile video ads is is it like you know okay this is clearly going to be easier to market on an influence with an, with an influencer video than on any sort of like other video format. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, I mean, I've I've seen I've seen the case where you know in the influencer marketing as a channel is the biggest scale, lowest cost in terms of you know CPI 
uh, and highest LTV user uh, or, or LTV rates among any, any user cohort. Um, but I've also seen the opposite. I've, I've seen it where, you know, it, it, it can't scale, it's not cost effective, and the quality of users are, are, are very low. And, and that's, again, it's, it's dependent on, uh, on, on your app and, and your audience. So I've, I've seen both extremes. Um, it, it seems like that, that, that qualitative judgment process is probably the most important part of conceiving and executing an influencer campaign, right? Because I, I like, like you said, I mean, um, a lot of people look to, inf- you know, a lot of people have basically just been priced out and, um, and pushed out of the direct response advertising space because of kind of lack of expertise and, you know, lack of, um, lack of, uh, you know, ability to build out infrastructure to, you know, to, to track it and stuff. And so they kind of look to influencer as like a shortcut to reaching an audience, not realizing that, you know, you still have to bring the same kind of rigor and discipline, um, you know, to, to, to doing an influencer campaign as you do any other type of campaign. And so, you know, they see it as this kind of like, you know, uh, panacea or like, you know, kind of, uh, you know, shortcut to, to, to growing an audience. And that, I guess, the, you know, how, how do you, as a, as a consultant or, you know, uh, just, just someone who's kind of familiar with the space, how do you kind of convince them that they, they need to, to, to take a, like a kind of systematic structured approach to evaluating the fit there? Um, well, I mean, that's, that's, that's a really good point because, the, the, and, and the honest truth is, depending on how good of a fit you are, you can afford to be a little bit sloppy. Um, it's it's kind of, you know, all the stars align, um, but, you know, you mess up on, let's say, uh, how, you, how you're proposing to pitch the app or what you're actually paying the influencers. Uh, it may still back out if, it, if it's that great of a fit. Um, but if, if it's not, then you really need to have all your, all your ducks in a row. Um, and, and really optimize kind of everything through that funnel um, to make it an effective channel. And so, again, it, it's one of those cases where it, it really depends on, on how good of a fit you are. But it certainly, it's, uh, yeah, I, I would say you need to be very analytical. And you need to treat it uh, not that differently than you would treat, treat your traditional DR outlets. Uh, I mean, when it comes to, you know, optimizing for conversion, seeing what works, again, testing, pitching, um, all these same metrics, actually, that, that we're used to in terms of uh, click-through rates, in terms of CPMs, uh, all, all those really still apply to influencer marketing. It's just, uh, you know, not quite as, as clean as, as we might expect from a traditional DR channel. Yeah, and I think uh, one of the you know one of the one of the problems I've seen with people that want to go down this route, and I mean, I, I maybe some of the stuff I've written sounds like I am kind of cynical about influencer marketing, which which is not true. I I'm not. I'm but what I'm you know what I'm just generally kind of um, you know frowned upon in in this space is trying to trying to grow a mobile app user base without any sort of like uh, kind of analytical framework for, for thinking about how it's going to be profitable. And so I see some people going down the influencer marketing route because they're almost just being lazy about not wanting to sort of build out an assumptions-based framework for how the money they're spending 
is going to generate more money than that, right? So with, with direct response, that model um, is, is kind of uh, it, it standardized. Like people know what that looks like and they can build one. You know, I can build kind of a, a you know, a, a launch plan or I can build kind of a, um, you know, sort of like an ongoing, um, you know, uh, m basically media buying plan that shows you here, here are all the metrics that um, are kind of inputs to this. And you, you can see how the money we, you know, basically invest, you, you know, comes back with some positive return. And so I think I definitely have seen the case where people say, okay, that's hard. I don't want to do that. And for influencer marketing, I can just say, well, hey, it's this new thing. And it's making a lot of other people a lot of money. So if we put money into it, um, surely that's a safe bet. And, and so I think, uh, you know, that, that is kind of, um, that, that sort of a cloud that hangs over, not, not the actual, um, you know, not the actual format or not, not the actual like sort of like practice of influencer marketing, but just the kind of like laziness that some people, uh, you know, that, that sort of incites some people to go that route versus direct response. Have you, so that was a kind of a long way of leading into this next question, which is, do you see that, have you seen that change? Do you, do you see people being more rigorous and more analytical about this now than, let's say, a year ago? Well, what's 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 funny about that is that uh, in in terms of in terms of measure, measurement and being analytical about it, um, I find it's a lot more difficult with influencer marketing. So I, I think when you know when I compare my influencer campaigns to my uh, traditional campaigns, uh, I have to put a lot more effort into uh, in, into measurement because. Uh, you know, so much of what you get through influencer campaigns is not fully attributable. And you're talking about, you know, organic uplift and, uh, and it's, you know, it's, it's a lot, not, not to say that traditional DR channels are super straight and super, you know, uh, super, uh, yeah, super straightforward because we all know that, you know, well, what's this, you know, how do, how do I handle uh, view through? How do I handle multi-touch attribution? All these things are, are there's certainly complications in, uh, in conventional marketing, but in, uh, in influencer marketing, those are just amplified. So I, I find it to be, uh, it, it, it's a challenge. And unfortunately, there aren't too many tools out there right now that are really built to effectively measure uh, influencer marketing the way that we have built tools to, to measure traditional DR marketing on, on Facebook or through ad networks, et cetera. Um, and the same doesn't just apply to influences and the same applies to, let's say podcasts or, uh, or to TV. Um, the, the, there, there, there's some tools out there, but they really are, uh, they haven't quite matured the same way that, uh, conventional tools have. So I know you're, you're pretty plugged in with all of the, um, the major tools providers. Do you, do you know if any of them, you don't have to name any names, but do you know if any of them are sort of pursuing, uh, you know, pursuing tools that can kind of be used to measure the, the, the impact of influencer marketing? Uh, I, I, I can say that that is happening. Um, and, and I've, I've yeah, I, I can say, I can say that is happening, but I, I don't know if I can really elaborate much more than that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I mean, I, I wouldn't want you to, to, to get in trouble with any, but I mean, I, I can kind of, you know, corroborate that. I've, I've definitely had conversations with people that are, because the thing is, you know, you know, putting TV or radio or out of home aside, which is happening outside of the, the, the mobile form factor, right? So that's happening off the phone. Um, all the other stuff that's not direct response is still happening on the phone. Um, and there's still, a, it, it's still, a, it's still pretty easy to, to, to track a lot of metadata around uh, when the ads run um, and who saw them. 
in a, in a sense, uh, you know, and then and then you know tie that to 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 sort of install metadata. Um, that that even though it'll never be direct unless you sort of you know drop a link in you know a, a video description or something, it's still it's still it would still be much easier kind of um, you know conceptually to to build a model and to build tools that help track influencer campaign installs versus anything that happens off the phone. Anything that happens off the phone is, is almost impossible to, to have some sort of like meaningful measurement around. But it, everything that happens on the phone, I feel like, even though it's not direct, it's still going to be easier to measure than like TV. Uh, exactly. Yeah. And, and, and in the case of influencer marketing, you usually have a signal. Uh, that's what you can base it off. You usually have some form to track. Let's say it's a... Uh, uh, a clickable link that the majority of users don't click, um, you still have that signal that you can base on and, and, and try to extrapolate from there. Mm -hmm. So what's the, so kind of talking about measurement and, um, and ROI, what's the most successful influencer campaign you've run? Uh, you know, as a, as a campaign as a whole, uh, I'd, I'd probably have to point to my days uh, with Tops, promoting Tops Kick. So TopKick is an app for collecting and trading soccer cards. And uh, that's really uh, really where I got my start with influencer marketing, and that was promoting through FIFA YouTubers. And so FIFA YouTubers are you know, the YouTubers who, who, play, who play FIFA, but more than that, really the, the core of their videos tends to be there's this uh, app opening process in, or sorry, pack opening process in FIFA Ultimate Team where... Um, you, you open certain packs of cards and, and there's this reaction to the players you're getting. And that's really what's made a lot of these FIFA YouTubers famous. It's not so much their FIFA skills. Some of them are not even that good at FIFA. It's more about their, you know, their, their entertainers and, and their reactions to getting a Messi or getting a Ronaldo. And uh, that could not be a more perfect fit for what we were doing with Top's Kick, which was about opening packs, uh, opening packs of soccer cards. And so, uh, that that really was first of all this was this was a while a while back so the entire market was uh, um, from from a demand side was was a lot cheaper and a lot less crowded and um, but really what made that work was the magic content it it couldn't have been better um, and so yeah that that I mean that that was it's hard 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 to beat that in terms of a match um, and I should say why that worked well um, beyond just being a great match was that uh, FIFA is a huge genre on, on YouTube. It's, it's, it's one of the biggest verticals. And so not only was there this great fit in terms of, uh, let's say, conversion rate from, from views to install, but there was this massive supply of potential views that, 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 we, that we bought into. And so today, yeah, it's, uh, it's you know, hard, hard to beat that. See, so you kind of uh, mentioned the fact that this was maybe earlier on in um, the existence of this kind of uh, more structured idea of influencer marketing uh, on mobile, and so you know there was a little bit of maybe of, of first mover advantage and and just a, just a lack of people knowing like what this was worth, right? So like a lack of price discovery, so you got a, a cheaper price. I, I was actually at um, <clears throat> a conference this week called Online Marketing Rockstars, and I saw um, a Gary Vaynerchuk. Speaking, and he said that you know he thinks of influencer, or sorry, Instagram influencer marketing and Facebook uh, influencer marketing and YouTube influencer marketing 
uh, as being in a similar position to what uh, Google AdWords marketing was about like 12 years ago, meaning that you know there, there's that that that's as the the, the market is, is is sort of like still incipient and still like not fully formed, and so there's this kind of lack of price discovery in terms of like what the arbitrage is worth, and, and so or the, the the you know the possibility of of um, you know a, a reaching massive scale with that kind of arb- like click arbitrage. And so, you know, this is the time really to be kind of leveraging that and pouring money into it to scale a user base. Do you, do you think that, do you think it's there? Because, I mean, I, I think if you think in, in terms of timelines that long, like decades long, this is really early in influencer marketing, you know, just in terms of, again, like that structured idea, right? Because it's, it's not a totally new phenomenon, but just the structured idea of people using influencer marketing to, to, to grow their user base on mobile. Is it, is it there? Is it at that point? Or is it a little, is it a little bit like more um, evolved than that? Uh, it's, it's, it's probably about at that point. I think that that's a, that's a fair comparison. And, uh, it's, it's evolved a lot in the last couple of years. And, uh, I would say, and in, in some cases for, uh, for the better, in some cases for the worse, right? Uh, I mean, I just saw reports, uh, with, with YouTube, uh, claiming what, I think it was a billion hours, uh, a day. Of, of YouTube, watch something along those lines. But the point is that uh, from a supply standpoint, the supply is increasing very, very, very fast. Um, you know, at, at one point, it used to be a really big deal if you got a million subscribers on YouTube. Um, now, it's, you know, I mean, it's, it's so this, I should say the supply has, has increased. Now, uh, have, have influencers realized their value more than they had, let's say, uh, two years ago? A- absolutely. Um, but that's not something I'm 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 upset with. I mean, if I have to pay you know higher rates on on a CPM, um, that's that's not that's not the worst problem uh, to to have. And uh, I'd say on from a from a management perspective, um, that is something that has has matured a lot. Um, you know, speaking to you know influencers who again a couple of years ago maybe have just been representing themselves. Now they have agents. Now they have managers. Um, that, for the most part, is actually a good thing, in, in, in my opinion. I mean, there's a reason why these these are jobs that exist. It's because they're adding value. Now, are there the agents and managers who don't and kind of you know slow down the system and just kind of tack on unnecessary costs? Yeah, that exists. But for the most part, I've I've been happy with with those that I've dealt with, and uh, makes my job easier, uh, even if I'm paying a bit bit of a premium for it. That's interesting that you say that because most of the stuff I hear about kind of agents and um, agencies is negative. I mean, it's people just kind of bemoaning the fact that they can't go direct. But you, I mean, it sounds like you're saying you, you actually appreciate the fact that they exist because it's kind of, well, A, a sign that the market is, is really viable, and but B, they, they actually do streamline things and make it easier to get stuff done. Can you, can you elaborate a little bit more on that? Like what, what, uh, how does having an agent involved make, make things run more smoothly? Um, well, I should say... There's a big difference between having an agent or manager involved and having a giant agency involved. Now, there's a lot of companies out there who want to put themselves in between the advertiser and the influencer. Um, and, you know, there really shouldn't be more than maybe one, zero, one or two steps there. Um, but, you know, if you're, if you're, a middle middleman, you're not adding, you're not adding much value to the equation. That's where the frustration comes from. Uh, when an agency will claim to represent uh, 3,000 different YouTubers, um, 
when really all they're doing is um, reaching out to them cold on on your. It's just, there, there's a lot of there's a lot of false claims out there, and it's certainly uh, a, a bit of a, a dirty business in 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 some ways. Uh, that's part of it still being an, an immature market. Um, but there are there your agents and, and your managers who manage you know a, a small pool of YouTubers and manage them well. And again, they make my job easier. Maybe rather than communicating with somebody one-on-one, um, I can communicate one message and he communicates it to his, you know, three or four or six best YouTubers who are the best fit. Um, I usually find that it's actually, and it's a bit ironic, but uh, it's easier to work with uh, managers who really are representing the, uh, the, the influencer's best interests rather than trying to pretend like they're representing my best interest and kind of taking from both sides. Um, it's, it's a lot easier when it's straightforward. Hey, okay, I am managing my, you know, I'm, I'm representing my advertiser's best interest and you're representing your influencer's best interest and we work together that way rather than uh, trying to pretend that, you know, they, they, they're looking out for both of us here. Um, so sorry, that, that's a bit of a ramble, but I have to say it's, it's a mixed bag, but, um, Overall, some of the best people I work with are are the managers themselves. Yeah, well, I, I you know I think that makes sense, right? It's like rather than uh, you know trying to trying to do business with you know someone in the middle of nowhere with you know a rope tied around his you know waist as a belt, you know you get to deal with like a you know business person who understands how to operate a business. Um, yeah. But it was funny that you mentioned uh, that some agents will kind of like mislead you into thinking that they actually represent someone they'll just take your business and kind of forward you know try then just try to go find someone to fulfill it right just sort, sort of like rebrokering in the direct response space is did, did i understand yeah. that, that that happens so like they'll just go yeah. and say hey we've got all these great influencers you know i'll get you 10 that have you know minimum fifty thousand followers and you say great and then they go and they try to find 10 and they say hey i got this great advertiser and they need someone with 50, you know that that's what happens uh, yeah, and I've, I've seen egregious examples of it, um, especially, I mean, there, there's been cases where I have, you know, long-term direct relationships with an influencer or, or their manager, and uh, yeah, uh, an agency will certainly represent itself as uh, the exclusive uh, agency of YouTuber X or Influencer X. Um, there's, there's very little accountability for that right now. Uh, I imagine that will change as, as it matures. But certainly, that's something to be wary of. How do you know? How do you avoid that? Uh, you know, there's a few red flags. I would say um, one is if you actually will see that, uh, an influencer um, marketed by several different agencies as their own. Um, there tends to be like a, a a certain pool of influencer that kind of falls in that falls in that category. Um, Generally speaking, the bigger, the, the more the more influences uh, an agency claims it covers, the more likely that that it's going to be the case that they're not exactly being forth, you know, not exactly being honest about it. Um, and I think you know where we're trending towards smaller management groups rather than bigger. Um, I think what you just saw recently with uh, with Maker Studios, you know, shuttering down a lot. And I think they were going from, 
I, I can't remember how many thousand of YouTubers that they were, you know, kind of under their wing, and now they're going, just focusing in on 300, which is already huge. I mean, 300 is a really, really big number um, relative to other players. But I just think you see that it's, this isn't something that's easy to do on a grand scale in terms of management. So you're, generally speaking, um, the smaller the promise, the more likely it is that's going to be true. So the, the industry's having its Jerry Maguire moment. There we go. Fewer, fewer <laughs> agents, you know, fewer clients. Um, interesting. So how, uh, how much, so when you're dealing with these agents or you're dealing directly with the influencer, how much direction do you give them around the video? Uh, I, I make sure that they understand the app um, and they understand the important features and the important selling points, but I don't tell them necessarily how to sell it. Um, these guys have built up their own audience themselves. They know how to reach their audience literally better than anyone else on the planet. They are experts in that above anything else. And so for me to tell them, hey, do this or use this or tell them this, I mean, you know, more often than not, the best ideas are going to come from them. And so I, I put a lot of faith in, in influencers, and they tend to like it more that way, and it comes off more organically. It tends to be a win for all. That's not to say that there aren't flops here there where it's like, oh, they totally missed this point or totally missed that point. Um, and there's certainly some, some face palming happening. But for the most part, uh, I, I'm rewarded when, when I put my faith in the influencers themselves to create the best content. And what – so a lot of these people, I mean – You'll hear about, and you heard about this with um, with the Snapchat IPO that that actually uh, there's concern that you know not only are kind of regular users shifting to Instagram because of the Instagram stories, but but the influencers, a lot of the big influencers on, on Snapchat were moving over, um, you know, which which could have kind of a disproportionate effect right on user base growth. Like if you know you know some random user shifts, that's not such a big deal, but if someone who's kind of got a big big following shifts. It could potentially uh, have have a, have a you know much more substantial effect. So uh, one thing that I'm I would like to to get your take on is you know a what are the best uh, platforms for for influencer videos as as a as a means of advertising and b um, is is it like kind of a real phenomenon that you know some influencer might have a big audience on YouTube but not some I mean not so much on Instagram or they won't do Instagram at all or they won't do Snapchat at all. Like they'll have their specific platform that they're very, very kind of um, tied into for, for whatever, for whatever sort of like structural reason. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, well, I'll, I'll start with your second question actually. Um, and that's certainly true. I mean, if you're in the gaming realm, gaming is really, really big on YouTube uh, and, and, and let's say Twitch. Those are really big channels for gaming, but you're not going to find much gaming on Instagram, for example, um, or, or, or Snapchat. But in terms of, uh, let's say, lifestyle or fitness, um, that is big on Instagram. Um, that, that's, you know, that's actually also, also very, very big on YouTube. Um, but in terms of comedy, let's say the comedy vertical as a whole, that's huge on Snapchat and, and kind of lends itself well. But uh, so depending on, on what vertical you're really looking at, it's kind of shifts in terms of where those actual influencers are living. Um, in terms of platforms as a whole, uh, I'm a bit biased here, but I, uh, I, I prefer YouTube. Uh, it's really the most scalable and the best fit for, uh, for direct response. Um, and that's it. I mean, in, in the context of, um, 
of internet activities, especially on social, um, committing to watch a YouTube video is huge. Um, I mean, you're, you're really, you're sitting back, you're dedicating yourself to engaging with a video when, when you click on a, on a YouTube link versus, you know, scrolling through Instagram where you're just a finger flick away from seeing the next content. And so when you're asking people to, okay, stop what you're doing, go download this app, that's a much easier sell on a platform like YouTube than it is uh, Instagram or especially Snapchat, let's say. Um, that's, you know, but even just from a practical standpoint, uh, again, the, the scale on YouTube is, is massive. Um, and so that's not to say it's, it's not to say that you can't run profitable campaigns on other platforms. You certainly can. And, and I've seen that. Um, but if you're going to focus your efforts on, on one platform, uh, it, it, it will be YouTube in, in my opinion. Yeah, actually, I mean, at that same conference I was at, um, uh, Casey Neistat was there, and he he uh, he gave it, he was doing an interview that I saw, um, and he he had made the same point. He said that YouTube is by far the the number one kind of platform for for this kind of marketing, uh, and 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 you know he made the point that like, um, actually I don't remember if it was him. Actually, it may have been Gary Vaynerchuk that made the point, but like you know you'll see people that get you know something some insane percentage of their view rate on you know, 40 minute videos is like above 50%. So, you know, like of the video, right? So like you'll get, you know, there are people that have these, these super massive, like loyal fanatical followings where they'll post a 40 minute video and they'll get more than 50% of the people that watch it, watching more than 50% of it, like watching more than 20, 20 minutes. And that, that seems like almost insane. I mean, that's basically sitting down and watching a, you know, a TV show every week, right? That's, that's the kind of level of, um, you know, uh, of cadence and, and sort of dedication that people have to this. It's like, I'll watch every single one of these videos through, uh, you know, 20 minutes or more, um, which it's, it's, incre- it's pretty incredible. And I think that, that obviously lends itself really well to, to, to advertising. Yeah. Yeah. I'd say, uh, o- overall, I think a lot of people, uh, you know, who are, let's say, uh, my age or older, I'm, I'm, I'm 30 years old, uh, interact with YouTube in a way where, you know, somebody, they, they, they come across a YouTube link, somebody sends it to them, they see it in an article, whatever it may be, they click it, they watch it, they leave. And that's kind of how we interact with YouTube, which is very, very different from how, let's say, somebody who is 25 or younger interacts with YouTube, which is, they go to YouTube. It's a destination. The same way that um, we may have at some point gone uh, channel surfing, they go to YouTube for the content and they they you know, they, again, they're, they're heavy subscribers and it's a daily feed of content. And that's a, uh, it's a very different way of, of they have, there's very different consumption patterns, especially based on age. Um, but once you kind of wrap your head around that, it makes sense how, oh man, uh, this, you know, YouTube video might get, you know, 70% of its views over the course of a month on day one. Um, it's, it's that type of engagement that they have with their users, which is super, super, super strong. So I'll end the podcast with kind of the million dollar question here, which is how do you measure the impact of influencer campaigns? <laughs> well, it, it depends on the platform. And, and this is, you know, I'd say one of the biggest challenges, but it's also very, very doable. Now, um, I, I mentioned YouTube's kind of my favorite, so I'll start with that. Um, in YouTube, you can have 
clickable links in the description. And so, you know, when you put a link at, at the top of the description, you're going to capture some percentage of attribution accurately. Um, and that may be anywhere between, let's say, 15 to 40% of the actual, uh, the actual uh, result from, from, from that campaign itself. Um, that, that, and that, that, will, that will differ a lot on individual campaigns. For example, if I'm a YouTuber, my call to action is, hey, click the link in the description to download the app and add me as a friend. And I say that three times, and there's some advantage there to clicking the link is that you'll automatically add me as a friend. Let's say it's a deferred deep link or something along those lines. That, that's going to that's gonna attract a high level, a relatively high level of attribution over the, over the true amount. Um, versus if there's just a link in the description and there's no call to action to it, you're just talking about the app and the link's there, um, that's going to attract a much lower percent. So on the individual campaign level, you'll see a, a pretty large variance of what's accurately being attributed. And if you look early in a campaign, that's the easiest time to see that uplift. And so if you, you, know, if you have an organic baseline that you can expect um, – you, again, you, you measure the organic uplift relative to that signal that you're getting. And so, sorry if this is, this is a bit of a long and, and, and tedious explanation, but um, the short version of it is, yeah, you get a signal and you can extrapolate off of that. Um, the important part is, is that you're in a position where you can accurately measure an organic uplift. So if you want to camp, if, if you're an app that has a lot of organic noise, you're doing a lot of different things, uh, and you run a small influencer campaign, it may be tough to actually see that organic uplift versus um, if your organic activity is relatively predictable um, and you run a larger influencer campaign. And so what I tell uh, what I tell clients is that you need to be prepared to see. I mean, you need to run a campaign that's big enough for you to notice. And so if you would, or if you're going to notice a hundred organic installs in an hour that normally wouldn't be there then that's a big enough campaign. If you're going to notice a thousand, then, uh, then that's a big enough campaign. And so you need to be, but you need to run a campaign that's, that's big enough so that you can measure that. Um, now moving off of YouTube, um, Instagram is an interesting option because there's two general ways you can measure Instagram. One is uh, by sending users to your Instagram page. And the other is by sending users to a unique link in that influencer's bio. Um, I prefer the uh, the former. Uh, I think if you build your Instagram page to be a good onboarding platform, and that's a much better way of of sending. That's a much better funnel to send users through than to try and get them to click a random link in a in a in the influencer's bio. But um, that also makes measurement more difficult. Um, now, from uh, Snapchat, Snapchat's interesting because Snapchat, there is no clickable, clickable links, um, but you get everything within a 24-hour window. And so that makes measurement a little bit easier because, hey, either it happened or it didn't. Um, and, you know, actually the same applies to Instagram stories and, and whatnot. So it's, you know, and actually live streaming, both on, on Twitch and Facebook Live, et cetera. And so, yeah, measurement varies a lot by platform. Some easier than others, but ultimately they are all measurable. And uh, well, if they're not measurable, then they're not worth doing, in in my opinion. 
Great. Uh, I agree, and I think that's a good place to uh, wrap this up. So thank you very much, Adam. That was very interesting and very informative. No, no. Um, again, it's an honor to be on your, your, your first podcast, podcast here, Eric. And so how, how can people follow you on the Internet? You're, you're on Twitter? Uh, yeah, Twitter is probably the best way. Uh, it's, at, it's Adam Hattie. That's so I-T-S-A-D-A-M-H-A-D-I. Um, yeah, that, that, that's, that's the best way. Let's, let's stick with that. Great. And where can people see you next? Where, where's the next uh, conference that you'll be appearing at? Uh, the next conference, I will be going to the Grow.co conference in Vegas, uh, Mobile Apps Unlocked. And that's in about uh, two months. So, yeah, I, I, I spoke at that conference the last two years. And so, uh, yeah, you, you can expect to see me there. It should be a lot of fun. Great. Well, I'll definitely see you there. And th- thank you so much again for taking the time. This was really informative. All right. Happy to be here. Take care.